ago, or less than a couple of years ago. It was, she's a COVID puppy. And a year ago, she was about nine months old, and as we'd find out, she was going through her adolescent season. And uh, as soon as we'd try to take her for a walk, she'd, she'd flop down on the ground and would refuse to go a step further. We tried luring her with treats. We tried um, putting on the most chipper, positive-sounding voices. We tried yelling at her. Nothing, nothing would work. We would literally have to drag her through the woods. She, she would have uh, the pine pitch uh, clinging to her fur to, to show for it. It was the, the proof of the battles she'd won and we'd lost. It was a disaster. I mean, uh, this combined with all the other naughty things and, and destructive things she'd get into led to a constant refrain in our house, uh, especially between Kylie and I, uh, consisting of five words. We've made a horrible mistake. <laughs> These were dark days in our relationship with Hazel. Well, out of desperation, we, we called Hazel's dog, tr dog school trainer, and for a price, uh, she'd come by our house and have a two-hour consultation. She'd watch what was going on, show us strategies that would help, and then she'd watch us. She'd coach us as we put these strategies into practice. And I'll tell you, it was the best $100 we ever spent on Hazel. We felt like we had a new dog, literally. We felt like we had a new dog. In order for this dog-owner relationship to work, Hazel needs leadership. We, as her owners, or handlers, needed training to, to be the leaders Hazel needed. Well, if the Bible had been written today, it'd be filled with all kinds of dog illustrations. But instead, it's chock full of sheep illustrations. In the ancient agriculture, agricultural context of the Bible, there are more than 400 references to sheep and about 100 references to shepherd. One of the most famous ones we, we read earlier, um, Psalm 23. It's not surprising that Jesus would include this in his favorite references, uh, among his favorite references in the seven I am claims that he would make about himself. I am the good shepherd. We're in the midst of a series looking at each of these claims. I think we've got them up here, um, all of them. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Two weeks ago, we looked at the first claim, I am the bread of life. Last week, Tim led us as we considered the, the second claim, I am the light of the world. This week is a two-for-one deal. We're going to look at Jesus' third claim, I am the gate, and his fourth claim, I am the, the good shepherd. So it's, it's found in uh, John 10, verses 1 through 18, if, you're, if you'd like to go there, or we'll have it on the, on the screen behind me. Let's stand together. This is the New Living Translation. 
I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They'll run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They'll come, in, come and go freely and will find good pasture. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the, she and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The Father loves me because I sacrifice my life so that I may take it up again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily for I have authority to lay it down when I want and, I also, and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So, <clears throat> a little context, a little background. Just before he told this in, ch in chapter nine, in chapter uh, in chapter ten, in chapter nine, Jesus had just healed a blind man, a, a man born blind. And what made this healing so controversial is that he healed him on the Sabbath, which was a big no-no according to the religious leaders of the day, the so-called shepherds of their day. So they, they call the now, the now healed blind man and question him. They call his parents in and question them. His parents were scared to death of the, these shepherds, the, the religious leaders, be, because they... They could make life very difficult and painful for them. So they held back from saying, saying anything good about Jesus. But the, the, the man born blind, now healed, he didn't hold back at all. And he famously says, hey, all I know is I was blind, but now can see. And the religious leaders cast him out of the synagogue. 
So Jesus found him afterward and, and revealed himself as the long-awaited Messiah. The man worshiped him, became a disciple, and in John 9, 39, Jesus says this, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see they are blind. Remember what Tim uh, said about Jesus being the light of the world uh, last week. Uh, light exposes things, reveals things for what they really are, reveals darkness, reveals blindness, and that's the situation in chapter 9. So when we get to chapter 10, it, it's pretty crucial that we have this context in mind because who's Jesus primarily talking to? The failed leaders, right? The, the lousy shepherds, those who showed their blindness by kicking this healed blind man out of their synagogue for attributing to Jesus his healing. Shepherds behaving badly. This wasn't the first instance by far in scripture. In fact, they, uh, they, they had some uh, pretty bad DNA in, as, as their spiritual fathers. Lots of Old Testament passages rebuking the uh, failure of the shepherds, the failure of the leaders, and in their abandonment of the sheep. You know, you, you can go through, go to Isaiah, Jeremiah, um, Zechariah for some, but none of them is more um, significant as far as uh, parallels between what we read in John 10 uh, than uh, Ezekiel 34. So, this is uh, Ezekiel, Ezekiel 34, verses 1 through 6, and then skipping down to 9 through 12. Then this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Give them this message from the sovereign Lord. What sorrow awaits you, shepherds, who feed yourselves instead of your flocks? Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? You drink the milk, wear the wool, butcher the best animals, but you let your flocks starve. You have not taken care of the weak. You have not tended the sick or bound up the injured. You have not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you have ruled them with harshness and cruelty. So my sheep have been scattered without a shepherd, and they are easy prey for, a while, for any wild animal. They have wandered through all the mountains and all the hills across the face of the earth, yet no one has gone to search for them. Then skipping down to nine, verse nine. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I now consider these shepherds my enemies. And I will hold them responsible for what has happened to my flock. I will take away their right to feed the flock and I will stop them from feeding, the f feeding themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths. The sheep will no longer be their prey. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they are scattered on that dark and cloudy day. So, 
the Pharisees knew their scriptures forwards and backwards. Did they know, did they get what Jesus was saying about them? Pretty sure. And, and did they get what Jesus was saying about himself? Yeah, pretty sure they got that too. So to put what Jesus is saying in John 10 in a statement, Jesus is saying this, I am the only way to real life, and I faithfully lead my people into that life. I am the only way to real life, and I faithfully lead my people into that life. So let's drill into these two claims. Let's start with a, with a gate. I am the gate. For postmodern people, the second claim about Jesus being the good shepherd, it, it sounds nice on the surface, right? I mean, who, who doesn't like a shepherd? Who, who doesn't want someone to pick you up and hold you in, in his arms um, when life gets rough? Who doesn't like a Sherpa? We'll get to that later, but, but it's, the fir- it's this first claim that rubs against our modern sensibilities. John um, chapter 10, verse 1 and 7. I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. And then I tell you the truth. I am the gate, the gate for the sheep. Part of the air we breathe in today in our culture is, is found in statements like this Hindu proverb. There are hundreds of paths up the mountain, all leading to the same place. So it doesn't matter which path you take. The only person wasting time is the one who runs around the mountain telling everyone that his or, pa- his or her path is wrong. Or in bumper stickers like, not all who wander are lost. In other words, I'm taking my own trail to the top of the mountain. It's all about the journey, the spectacular top, uh, the spectacular view at the top is really what matters. So everything is relative, right? In other words, I'll enter through the gate of my choosing. Thank you very much. Sounds a lot like our dog Hazel. Leaderless, shepherdless. But Jesus is saying, no, no, no. <laughs> if you want real life, if you want the abundant life, the rich, satisfying life, according to me, there is only one way. And it's through me. I am the way, I am the gate. Verse 1 and 8, again, I I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. Verse 8, all who came before me were thieves and robbers. So these thieves and robbers who sneak over the sheepfold, um, sort of bypassing the gate, who have they robbed? Well, the answer seems to be everyone. Uh, God, themselves, and others. They, they've robbed God of something precious and valuable to him. They've, they've robbed themselves and others of the way. 
the, the way to real life, the, the way to the abundant life, the way to eternal life that Jesus says is only possible through him. He's the gate. So he says, the thief comes to steal, comes to kill, comes to destroy. That's the opposite of life. But what is unique about the gate that causes people to want to avoid it and go around it? The answer to that question is found in Jesus' description of the good shepherd. So let's, let's take a look at that. I am the good shepherd. John uh, <clears throat> chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he's gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. A couple of things worth, worth mentioning. Shepherds in the uh, Middle East have been known to sound their own unique calls for their own unique flocks. So when, they, when their own sheep hear it, they recognize it, and they come running, and they follow him. We hear Jesus use the, the, the terms my voice or they listen or they do not listen repeatedly throughout this, this, these 18 verses. Now, uh, the, the second thing worth mentioning is we, we as North Americans, uh, we tend to think of, of shepherds like ranchers in the West, uh, always driving the sheep from behind, uh, maybe with, with a couple of sheepdogs. But that wasn't the case either in, in the Middle East, both now and currently. In, instead of lead, leading from behind, the, the shepherd is always ahead of the sheep, entering the unknown before the sheep enter it. I mean, talk about a picture of discipleship. He calls me by name, personally, individually, he calls us by name. He calls Joel. He calls Allie. He calls Skip. He calls Brian. He calls Jamie by name. That's amazing. And he leads us by going ahead of him. By, by go, going ahead of us. Earlier, we, we, we saw the gate is defined in contrast to the thieves and the robbers. Here, we see the good shepherd is defined in contrast to the hired hand or the stranger. Verses uh, 11 and 12, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He'll abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him. And he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks him and scatters the flock. So, so what's the fundamental difference between a good shepherd and the hired hand? Ownership. Belonging. The sheep don't belong to the hired hand. He doesn't own them. When, so when dangers come that threaten the life of the sheep and him, see ya. I'm taking off. I'm out of here. He runs. He doesn't truly love them. Doesn't, they don't belong to him. When, uh, when we got married, and see if you can relate to this, those of you who are married, 
people warned us about the first few years. Oh, you're getting married. Um, the first couple of years is tough, tough stuff. I'll be honest. The early years were a piece of cake. I feel like, we, I mean, we were genuinely blessed. But um, becoming a dad, oh, that was another story. It was a much bigger adjustment. Nothing had confronted me with my own selfish, selfishness the way becoming a dad did. And I'm, I'm talking about the, the, my kids, the ones that I cherish and treasure more than anyone else in this world. Um, I, I still notice this hired hand tendency in myself toward them. I'm, I'm not a good shepherd sometimes. And here's the connection between the gate and the good shepherd. In, in those moments, I notice myself refusing to enter the gate that calls me to sacrificially love them like my good shepherd. Instead, I'd, I'd rather slip over the fence Jesus says, I am the gate, the way. Now, how do you know that this claim is true? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices life for, his, for the sheep. So, the, the word for good in Greek, it's the word kalos, is a, is, a, is a stronger word than good. It, it means a couple of things. It means noble. It means worthy. So the, the noble shepherd, the worthy shepherd, someone might say, I don't get it. How, how does the shepherd's death do anything for the sheep? Speaking in reality, how does, how does the God-man's death do anything for me as a human? That's a good question, Right? In, in this, uh, it, it, in other words, it, is this just a gesture or a statement? We need to look at, at the last two verses that we looked at this morning for a fuller picture. Verse, verses 17 and 18. The Father loves me because I sacrifice my life so that uh, I may take it back again. No one can take it from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily for I have the, the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again for this is what my Father has commanded. That's, that's the great news of the gospel. God himself saw us as the scattered sheep that we were, thirsty, hungry, vulnerable, um, threatened by the dangers of our sin, which is eternal separation from him. The, the, the God who made us. So the, the good shepherd, the noble shepherd, the worthy shepherd stepped into, into this danger for us on our behalf. Why? So, so we wouldn't have to. So, so we would be saved. That's, that's the meaning of the cross. Don Carson uh, puts it this way. 
The shepherd does not die for his sheep to serve as an example, throwing himself off a cliff in a grotesque and futile display while bellowing, see how much I love you. No, no, no. The assumption is that the sheep are in mortal danger. That in their defense, the shepherd loses his life. That by his death, they are saved. That and that alone is what makes him the good shepherd. Galatians 2, 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that's not all, as we sang earlier. Because our, our noble, worthy, good shepherd was innocent, our enemies couldn't keep him down. They weren't powerful enough to overcome him. So Jesus was raised from the dead. He's taken his seat by the Father, and he's promised promised to return. In the meantime, he's, he's leading us like the good shepherd that he is. It's not, I will be the good shepherd. No, 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 I am the good shepherd. I am leading you through the good, the bad, and the ugly. He opens the gate so we can go in and out and find good pasture. Listen to his voice. (laughs) Again, referencing those multiple instances where he says, they listen to my voice. Well, listen to his voice in Matthew 16, 24 and 25. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's that's his voice calling you through the gate. And the sheep follow him. Let me ask you, would, would would your marriage benefit if you followed Jesus through that gate? Would, would your kids benefit if you follow Jesus through that gate of, again, sacrificing your life, laying down your life for them? You bet. Would, would our church community benefit if, if you follow Jesus through that gate? Would your workplace, your neighborhood, your fill-in-the-blank interest benefit if you follow Jesus through that gate? You bet. And, and the more he does that, we, we notice something happening. Our, our shepherd is in the business of transforming sheep's, <laughs> sheep into shepherds. It, it's been said that leadership is nothing more than, than nothing more and nothing less than, than influence. So if, if you could be a, sixth, uh, a, a first grader If you have influence on your teacher, if you have influence on your peers, classmates, then you are a leader. You you could be at the bottom of the totem pole at work. If you have influence on your coworkers, management, then you are a leader, a relational leader. The point is that 
through, uh, through a vital relationship with the good shepherd, the noble shepherd, the worthy shepherd, he feeds his, his sheep. And what he feeds them and us is found in his word. And the, the strength and the spiritual resources that are gained could not be gained in any other way by spending time getting to know his voice, by spending time with his people, his sheep. So he gives the power to, to put the interests of others before our own. That's all characteristic of the gate. He gives us the power to be willing to give up credit for things we think we deserve. That's all characteristic of the gate. He gives us the, the power to be willing to be misunderstood, un, unappreciated, just like him. That's characteristic of the gate. He gives us the power to be willing to give more than we get. He gives us the power to be willing to courageously call out sin for the good of the flock. He gives us the power to be willing to take the flock to places they don't want to go, but they need to go. All characteristic of the gate. To be, in a word, Christ-like. That's what it looks like to lay down our lives for the sheep. Hmm. This, this claim of Jesus in John 10 is very precious to me. He's carried me through many trials through this word, particularly over the past seven plus years since my stroke. I find it to be one of the most comforting things to know him as my good shepherd. I really do. He's given up his life for me. Yes, all, all of us, but for me in particular. He's called me by name, you by name. He, he, he sought me and found me when I've wandered away and gotten lost. He's picked me up and, and carried me when the journey is too tough. And he is the one who leads me into the fog of the own unknown in places I never would have chosen. So even though he's leading me to step down in a few weeks from being your pastor, the, the under-shepherd of this church, I take um, great comfort in the truth that he is the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, the noble shepherd, the worthy shepherd. And we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So we have every reason to believe that he will lead. He's in charge. He's guiding. He's protecting. He's providing for, for all of us in the days ahead. I, I firmly believe that. Jesus is Lord. And we can, therefore, we can trust him. He's a good shepherd. He's a good shepherd. Let's pray.